Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, where we continue to explore God at work in Canadian cities. Currently, we have a series of Quest Conversations. Quest is an acronym that gives shape to various ways that Canada's Christians are living out their call, calling as followers of Jesus in urban centers. Previous Quest Conversations explored the first two letters, Q and U. Q stood for qualitative neighboring, those who live as part of intentional Christian community and see their front porch as their platform for ministry. The letter U is for urban churches. What makes a local congregation distinctly urban as compared to suburban? town or rural. Urban churches give us a great window into the mission of God for our cities. Now we move on to the letter E. E stands for energizers. What does it look like to be a people that bring God's energy to bear on the culture and subcultures that they belong to? Energizers bring spirit to culture. So let me tell you about the guests on today's episode, and you can learn a lot about them in the show notes. First of all, uh, we have uh, Glenn Kaiser. Glenn is based out of Chicago, where he and a group of friends founded Jesus People USA, all the way back to 1972. Their ministry has all the characteristics of Quest combined, including street ministry workers and transformers. Glenn uh, is a uh, musician, author, uh, blogger, uh, preacher, pastor. He, he does it all and uh, has had a, an influence on a generation of uh, young Christians uh, and uh, some not so young, uh, people like myself. Uh, they, uh, Jesus People USA, were known for um, their music, a resurrection band were pioneers of Christian hard rock um, and they reached thousands of hungry ears around the world always with a fiery message uh, to bring people to Jesus. Cornerstone magazine uh, was a publication that dove into faith and culture and then Cornerstone Music Festival uh, up until 2012 uh, they drew up to 20,000 attendees each summer. Uh, and in Chicago, Cornerstone Community Outreach, which started as a makeshift shelter in their dining room, became one of the largest shelters for people exper experiencing homelessness in the city of Chicago from 1989 until today. And uh, in addition to that, the Wilson Abbey is a center for faith, art, and events. And uh, Glenn is uh, one of the elder uh, spokesmen of, of that ministry. And uh, although he uh, was only be able to be a part of the interview for a few minutes uh, until technical difficulties prevented him from continuing, uh, his contribution was, was great. Next uh, guest we have is Danny Brooks. After um, uh, many years uh, as a, uh, a musician playing in bars and, and uh, writing songs and, and living a, a very wild life of addiction. Uh, the 
gospel he heard about as a child uh, came to, to light and uh, he uh, committed his life to the Lord and uh, got his recovery. He and his wife Debbie are Canadians from the Toronto area that moved to Llano, Texas several years ago to expand their reach and their opportunities as touring musicians. Their music takes them into clubs, barbecues, prisons, churches all over North America. So while they live in Texas now, uh, they tour regularly through Canada with roots in Toronto. Our next guest is Connie Jacob. Connie is a motivational speaker, author, life coach, podcaster, uh, mom, hip-hop enthusiast, and uh, has played a leading role in Bell Media's Let's Talk campaign on mental health. Connie and her family live in Calgary, along with our uh, last guest, Ryan Stockert, another Calgarian. Ryan's burden for the entertainment industry began when Jesus transformed his life while he was working as head producer for two of Canada's largest radio stations. He became a spiritual caregiver to the people who had the ears of hundreds of thousands of Calgarians each day. The power of film, television, music, and the arts in general is undeniable in our culture. In fact, the arts aren't just a reflection of culture, but a driving force in changing our culture's worldview. So what if you can use the power of the gospel to influence the people who influence the masses? You can. And uh, so Ryan is a Mission Canada worker, uh, and uh, his um, work uh, takes him into the film and entertainment industry in Calgary and uh, the, there's just some great things that uh, were happening in that uh, regard pre-COVID uh, continuing in a smaller way now but uh, no doubt uh, all of our energizers are going to have a new day as they begin to connect with community again bringing Holy Spirit to culture Let's go to uh, my discussion with them. Well, I want to welcome uh, some friends here today. Uh, and uh, I have a habit of collecting uh, eclectic friends. And uh, certainly that's true of the team here today. Uh, just a reminder to uh, each of my guests to mute your microphone uh, until it's your time to talk. Um, and in our discussion today, uh, we're looking at what it means to bring spirit to culture. And as Christians, by that, of course, we mean Holy Spirit. What does it mean to bring Holy Spirit to culture? Uh, I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit is at work leading in your life as an artist, as a communicator or a media developer, and any ways that, that you are involved in proclamation or uh, sharing uh, the insights that you have uh, through various mediums. So um, just to get rolling here, um, we've got uh, Glenn Kaiser from Chicago, Danny Brooks from Llano, Texas, Connie Jacob and Ryan Stockert uh, from Calgary, Alberta, and I'm at home in Windsor. Um, talk, let's talk about the sweet spot. 
when you're engaged in a conversation with somebody uh, or writing a song or, or you're performing and, and, and suddenly you become aware that God is in this moment, um, you know, suddenly you're stunned by how good Jesus is. Um, do you have a recent or a memorable story of one of those divine counters in relation to, uh, to being somebody who, who is an energizer? An energizer uh, is somebody uh, that uh, is led by the spirit to bring God's energy to bear. God's presence to bear. So who's got a story uh, about uh, one of those experiences where you were in your sweet spot with Jesus? Connie, you go ahead. And then Danny. Well, you know, one of the things that I uh, love to do is produce theater work. Now, we can't do that right now. But there was a, a time that I felt the Lord tell me that I want want you to tackle the issue of racism on the stage. And so I gathered a bunch of um, multi-cultured people, artists in our city, and we, we created monologues behind frames, massive wooden frames. And they told their stories behind the frames. And at the end of the show, I heard the Lord say, I want you to, I want you to lower those frames to the ground as a prophetic declaration that when we lower our framework, when we come out of our echo chambers and really see one another, that I will, I will move in on that moment. And so we did it. I mean, it felt like such a risk. And um, the audience had all been given these little popsicle stick frames, every single one of them on their seats. And at the end, you know, we asked everyone what would happen if we all lowered our frameworks to really see one another. And I, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, one person just took their frame and chucked it onto the stage. And then everybody starts chucking their frames onto the stage. And it was, it was the most moving moment because in that theater, that sacred space, everyone was choosing to lower their frames in order to see one another. It was really beautiful. That is beautiful. It kind of reminds me of the equivalent when people don't like a band and they throw beer bottles on stage. But you had a different, they had a different reason to throw their frames. Uh, yeah, Danny, you had a, had a story you wanted to share about that as well, about uh, being led of the spirit and being in a sweet spot. I did until you brought up the beer bottle thing. And I remember <laughs> dodging a bunch of those one night, but that's another story. No, for <laughs> me, when I, went from when I first became a Christian in 87 and I started reading the Bible and I would take copious notes and line it all up and I when I say copious notes I was didn't realize I was writing books almost and and in 1990 I started going into the prisons and I thought this is such an honor and a privilege I have to be right on. And I studied so hard, worked so hard, bringing all these notes with me. And I one day I said, Lord, this is driving me crazy. All these notes. And, 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 and I get so upset because I think I'm missing something. And all of a sudden, God said, Danny, relax. I just want people that are willing to go. 
just show up. And I remembered that verse about don't worry about what you're supposed to say. In that hour, the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. Well, the first time I went in the prison without copious notes and just my guitar and I winged it, I, my whole life I was set free. Even in my secular with the band, I'd write out set lists and they'd have to have different keys going into different grooves. I it'd make me sick. I showed up on stage and said, this day, what's the first song we're doing, Danny? I won't know until I get on stage. And it just changed my whole walk with God. It set me free. I Because I, I moved myself out of the way. I'm my own biggest hindrance. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I, I mean, I really relate with what Danny said. I think we can really get in God's way in a sense. And I remember, you know, I've had many miraculous encounters and wild stuff with the Lord. And so much of it was when I was a new believer, because you just got this faith that, you know, you don't know a lot, but you got a faith that God's going to show up and do stuff. And so I think things happen in bigger ways. And then in our culture, you know, we're supposed to know everything before you go and do something, or, you know, you got to be an expert on something before you do it. I mean, for my first film, um, you know, I was working in radio at the time and, and God called me to make a film, you know, out of a prayer time. He said, quit your job and I'll pay your mortgage. And that made no sense to me at all. And um, it's a longer story. But over the six, next six months, he told me he wanted me to make a film that glorified his name. And at the time, like this was my video camera. Like whatever fit in my pocket was my video camera. And so I had no idea what I was doing. But I knew for sure this was God and there was signs and there was provision along the way and, you know, wise friends who prayed and, you know, affirmed me. And, you know, we went out and I quit my job. We had no income. And he said, you know, um, uh, anything you need, you're not allowed to fundraise or ask for any money at all, um, which also goes against all logic. He said, I'll provide for you uh, as you pray for all your needs. And I mean, sometimes there's a bag of bananas or something left on our doorstop and uh, you know, somebody give us a gift card or what, but we were provided for, uh, we had our third kid paying the mortgage still, um, making a film, no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, a year and a half later, I had this mir miraculous product, like this, this, this film, this message, a prophetic message from God. And it, it was him. And, and you know, it's him because you just don't have the ability to do it yourself. And so, yeah, sometimes we learn a little too much, I think. And then we trust in ourselves instead of in God, right? Yeah. Which which project was that, Ryan? That was the end of churchianity. That was my original end of churchianity one. Uh, yeah. Well, is is that up on uh, a website or on YouTube? YouTube, yeah. It's it's freely available for okay. whoever would want to see it. Yeah. Make sure you send me uh, that link so we can include that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Danny, you had something you were going to add there. Oh, I meant send me the link too. Oh, okay. Yep, for sure. Um, so all of you are uh, approachable people and tuned into the hearts of broken people. Whether they're disciples of Jesus or not, um, 
you know, I, I am anticipating that people sometimes view you as their parish priest that they confess to. And what is it about you that makes you approachable in that way? We haven't heard from Glenn yet. So uh, Glenn, what is it about you that uh, people want to confess to you? Well, the answer to your first and this question, I can wrap up in, in two quick stories. The first is when Wendy and I, my wife and I, in the inner city of Chicago, we happened to be going down the street. <clears throat> this would have been about 74. We've lived here since 72 in the inner city. And we're sharing the gospel with people, just literally walking up to people and saying, hey, Jesus loves you, you know, and really does. And some dude stopped and looked at me and started rattling off $30, $30 words, man. I, I, I was like, oh, university, this dude's got, you know, he's, he's a genius, he's an intellectual, <clears throat> whether pseudo or real, but it's one of those situations where I'm realizing, uh-oh, this guy's way over the top. And uh, he asked me one of these, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin question, some bizarre theological, cosmic, you know, esoteric, you know. And I, I looked at him and said, wait a minute, and I'm sorting through scripture in my head because by that time I'd spent hours and hours pondering and pouring over the Bible. And I looked at him because I said, just a second. I looked at him and I said, I, I don't know. He goes, I said, what's that? He goes, you're the first Christian I've asked that question to admitted that they didn't know. And I went, I'm not going to make it up or quote some scripture because I'm trying to win an argument here. I'm trying to one up you or anything. He's like, walk with me for a bit. I never quite found out whether this guy was a preacher's kid who had fallen away from Jesus or what, but sometimes the, the lack of humility uh, and the lack of listening and the, and, the, and the thinking we've got all the answers and all the solutions to all the problems of the whole wide world this savior complex that we have when there's only one savior and his name is Jesus. What is it about you that uh, uh, people want to confess to you? I think that, that Glenn was hitting on a good thought there that, uh, you know, uh, we are uh, listeners. And uh, if anybody will listen, people will talk. What have you found to be the case? in terms of um, uh, people, what is it about you that makes you approachable? Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, you know, I think for me specifically, um, you know, I got saved in my mid twenties uh, and I'd been working in like, you know, rock radio and, and really in the world pretty deeply and stuff. So. Um, I, I didn't grow up in, you know, church culture and, um, you know, I found a lot of people in, you know, even in my circles now who have grown up in church culture just don't know how to talk to people who aren't church people. And, um, you know, being saved at 26, I think, I think I can talk to people kind of where they're at. And also, like I've gone through, I've gone through my own mistakes and junk and crap and stuff that I've had to deal with too. So, you know, that always helps you to relate to somebody, you know, they're like, oh, well, you're, you're a church guy, like, you don't get what I'm going through. And I'm like, well, no, actually, you know, I recovered from that, you know, yeah. about 10, 15 years ago, or whatever. And it, it, 
know when you can relate to people, you know, yeah. in that way and having suffered, suffering really helps you relate to other people's sufferings too. Yeah. yeah it reminds me of, of you, Connie, um, that one of the ways that I think you're approachable and people will talk to you is your honesty. Like uh, uh, I've um, uh, seen you and heard you talk about, you know, that year where um, you were drinking yourself to sleep every night, you know, and, uh, you know, people need to know that, that um, Christians are confessional and, and tell the way things really are. And then somehow that makes us more approachable. Anything you want to add to that, Connie? Should I add that I was also a credential holder at that time? Um, you know, <laughs> fully, fully in ministry. And I think, yeah. you know, when we, when we remember that we're human, and yeah. remember that, you know, the brokenness that we experience as a human yeah. is, is something that everyone can relate to. And honestly, I wish I would have had more broken experiences younger mm-hmm. because I would have been more relatable. And so I think that going through just crisis and tragedy in, in my 30s and early 40s um, has really woken me up to what... Um, brokenness looks like because I always worked with youth at risk in East Vancouver but it was always those people yeah and then as soon as I went through my own brokenness it's like no no it's us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny I'm gonna ask you to unmute and and maybe talk about uh, how your uh, traveling uh, road show is a bit of a confessional booth you're meeting people all the time and they open up to you why is that well, we exude who we really are. Mm-hmm. And if we've had our chats with God and completely lay it all out on the line, that we love him and we love his creation and that our greatest desire is to share the greatest story ever told, you'll exude that and people will sense that, that you love them, that you care about them. And something that uh, Connie was saying earlier and and Ryan as well. Um, When you understand other people's hardships and you listen, because Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the people can sense that in us then they're more apt to share those things with us. And um, so it's in a lot of my songs, the conflict, the resolution, and then what I say in between those songs, like one time there was a heroin addict, unbeknownst to me, who just got out of rehab and was serving the bar at this barbecue joint in Santa Cruz, California. And one of the songs I had, not a big spiritual song, but it's got a song with a moral to it. It's called Good Love is Hard to Find. And I would mention this song that I wrote this song for my lovely wife who got me into rehab. And, you know, she'll crack off like, oh, it's a dirty job, but someone had to do it. And then I say, when you go into rehab, There's a lot of startling things you go through. But one of the most startling things that I remember was that 
at the end of my stay, when Debbie came to pick me up, I'm seeing her now for the first time ever, clean and sober. And I thought, wow, she looks a lot better than I remembered her. And she always thinks that's a backhanded compliment. But I say, no, it's like a kid getting a bigger present at Christmas time. I was thrilled. Well, that'll, that stays with people. And at the end of my set, I went to get my ginger ale. And this guy introduced himself as Cole. And he said, so you were in rehab, eh? And I said, yeah. I said, what was it like when you first got out? I said, Cole, before I answer that, may I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm not. I said, you just recently got out of rehab. How long has it been? He said, just a few months. I said, may I ask what you're in there for? He said, heroin addiction. I said, that's a tough one. I said, they're all tough. I said, but it gets better easy every day. Debbie joined. And uh, I said, look it. I don't know where you stand about anything. But for me, I, it was faith in God. And all things are possible that way. He said, I believe that. So Debbie just pipes in. You want us to pray? He said, yeah. I said, okay, we'll do it. Leave our eyes open. No one has to know anything. Debbie said a quick prayer. So I, to wrap that up, again, coming back to just wanting to be willing. And, you know, just the, with any opportunity you can, whether it's a smile or a sentence, you just want to share God's love. And I, I think people, they sense God's love there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, you have this capacity to love based on how well you know that you are loved by God, the the mercy and the the grace and the forgiveness and 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 but also the the sense of purpose that God puts into a life that may have been been empty. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know, celebrity. And, uh, you know, um, in each, each guest uh, in, in the uh, podcast here, um, you um, do have a certain amount of audience building that you do. Um, you do walk into some places and occasionally you'll meet people that are giddy because they're such a fan that they don't even know how to relate to you. They just want to talk about how great you are. Um, you also uh, have times when, you know, you're working really hard to um, uh, take what you've been given and get it out there and communicate. So along with that whole celebrity culture, uh, we find ourselves as followers of Jesus who um, seem to just not get caught up in the celebrity culture of his day, the religious celebrity culture. His, it, it was people that um, were sometimes off the beaten path that paid attention to Jesus. So do you ever find that the mythology about you is much greater than the reality? And uh, how are you dealing with uh, any of those temptations that come along to try to, you know, 
wedge yourself into to something that uh, you know um, is more about your insecurity, say, than about actually the mission that you're on. How do you how do you stay focused around those things? So who wants to tackle that one first? Connie, go. I am so underwhelming. <laughs> you are not. In real life. Oh, no. I, life is very simple. But, you know, this is something that I had to, boy, to have, has God ever burned chaff in my life? Mm. Um, like, it, it really actually moves me. Like, I had to, like, my approval addiction was a real problem. And the problem is, is that in culture and in church culture, we celebrate people a certain way. And I thrived on that type of celebration and I strove for it. And, and when I didn't get it, it destroyed my heart. And, and I feel like actually the book Soul Care really helped me a lot. Um, but I remember my time with God, like that's it in the morning. And I remember one morning uh, he spoke to me and he said, Connie, you just belong. So you can lay down your need to be important. And when you lay down your need to be important, I'm going to give you favor because you'll be able to handle it. You'll have character to be able to handle my capacity, not for yourself, but so that you can love people and serve people and grow people. But he goes, you have to know you belong. And I actually got this. <laughs> Danny is my only tattoo. I'm so rebellious. Uh, my only tattoo, but it reminds me that I belong. It was that moment, that encounter with God I had that morning that, that told me that this is, this is it. And because I belong, it doesn't matter if I'm approved or if I'm rejected or persecuted. It doesn't matter. I'll go anyways. That's good. Yeah, Ryan. You know, I, I think when you see that you've had an emotional impact on someone, um, that brings a temptation to believe that you're, you know, something special. And, um, you know, especially when I've had big speaking platforms or had the opportunity to preach the word of God, like I relate with what Connie says, like in the church, yeah, there, there almost is, you know, this unspoken celebrity hierarchy right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jesus said the least will be the greatest in, in his kingdom. And I've really been sitting with that verse and going, okay, well, man, you know, fame or attention or applause is such a dangerous thing to the human heart, you know? And um, I'm always checking that. One thing I've I've been doing just, you know, personally is, you know, on a lot of my, uh, on a lot of my projects, even over the past couple of years is I've been like trying to become as anonymous or unseen as possible, not putting my name all over everything and, you know, things like that. Um, just trying to move into the background, kind of like, uh, you know, my house is standing because of what's inside the walls and underneath the floor, the stuff you can't see, that's the important stuff. You know, the stuff you can see that can change and that's not as important, but it's, it's the foundation and it's what it's, what it's built on. That's really important. And so, one thing I see, you know, people start putting other people on platforms because, yeah, you can look at Connie or Danny or you or, you know, whoever and and start saying, oh, well, they're this and they're that. And I see this in their lives and their social media and everything. And and ironically, we look at ourselves, even though that's not true. Right. Because if somebody sees me in a certain way, I know that's not true because I'm right here. I'm, I'm in your struggle. But ironically, we see ourselves lower 
Like, it's so crazy. We'll put other people higher. But then when we look at ourselves, it's like, oh, I'm so worthless and I'm not doing enough and I'm not. A, and it's just this weird thing. And uh, it's just another reason like social media, I really struggle with and this, you know, world of showing all your best sides and like, how do you relate to anybody like that? And yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of where I've been lately. It probably comes easier to, to extroverts, right? People that uh, are always just looking to jump up on a table and do a dance, you know? Um, right, Connie? <laughs> um, but but uh, often uh, people are energizers in culture. Um, they're not all extroverts. They're sometimes they're very quiet natured introverted but that crafting of a message that crafting of an expression um, comes out of that that quiet nature that quiet place and 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 they know that it's it needs to be shared and so they'll push themselves into that extroversion um you know danny uh you know you uh you're 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 one that is uh, at it full time and uh you know with uh, touring musicians of course 2020 was uh, was was such a year of displacement for for touring musicians and and um so when we talk about you know how your identity gets wrapped up in what you do and then all of a sudden you're not doing it the same way and you're not connecting the same way how is that kind of um how have you been processing with, with this whole question of your role in the lives of others? I take it um, very seriously. And um, I'm very fortunate that in 2020, I was working on a new recording. So I was going back and forth to Jackson, Mississippi and I did record with the rhythm section and one of the B3 players and um, subsequent visits with uh, another bass player. So there was interaction. Yeah. Uh, I did go back up and did a few gigs, but getting be working with the radio promoter and I did the mail outs, it was a very busy year for us right from last March and even till now after the new recording has been out now it first went to air November 1st and um, we're still doing interviews and I'm starting to do some booking because I'm the booking agent and, and manager as well Debbie's the promotions and PR lady so there's always something to do but we're very busy all the time but in their earlier question, in a nutshell, I take that biblical verse, esteem others higher than yourselves. A man's gift brings him before great people. We're servants to those great people who are God's people. And we tell that the people in prison, in the rehabs we go into, that you're special beyond description, as Psalms 139 says. And um, I do recall 
a time performing at a, I don't know if it was an independent Baptist church. And I, I learned a lesson in humility because we always like to get applause because that means they enjoyed the song. So I take the applause as they like the song. That's more important to me than, than me or anything else. I want them to love that song. And I'm at this church in Ottawa. Matter of fact, they just finished running from the Junos to get to this church. And I, I was introduced and I played my first song, gave it all I got. And at the end of my song, I looked up, only one person clapped, Debbie. So I thought, I'm not reaching them. I got to dig deeper. So I dug deeper and I gave it all the more, finished the song. They looked at me with glaring faces and I thought, I'm having trouble winning them over. A third song and no one ever, ever clapped. As a matter of fact, the harder I tried, the angrier this church body got at me. But after it was all said and done, it taught me a lesson that it doesn't matter who's there, how they respond, what matters, did you do it as unto God? And and that particular show, I didn't, because I kept digging down deeper. I kept trying hard. That's, yeah. It gets back to that. Just let go and let God, no matter where I go. That's I'm it. A free-spirited mind, and you just gotta. Whatever happens, happens. I'm just thankful. I'm still breathing, and just yeah. playing music on stage. It's mystical. It's magical. It's wonderful. I, Connie, I've heard you uh, on one of your uh, recent episodes of your podcast talking something similar about your heart to serve the audience, you know, and not that the audience is there for you, you're there for them. And you want to you want to elaborate a little on that thought? And while you're at it, uh, tell tell people about your podcast, too. So ironically, um, I've actually, God has just recently told me to give up my podcast, which oh, I'm like, okay. why, God, why? <laughs> I don't know why. I just know I got to be obedient. So Well, it was so good it, while it lasted. <laughs> all, all 16 episodes. I'm yeah. <laughs> serious. We had a season. We had a season. <laughs> but, you know, um, that's one of the things, like in the speaking realm, you know, a lot of people get up to be heard. And I was one of those two. Absolutely. I mean, when, when you know you're called to something, you want to do it. And sometimes our hearts aren't to get out there and show off. It's to, you're a musician. You want people to clap. You, you get so much joy out of doing what you love. And speaking is a part of that too. But that is something that has really hit me is that, you know, when we get up to speak, we're not there. We're not the hero. As soon as you decide to speak your story, to change and shift culture, the audience is the hero because you're there to raise them up. You're there to ignite. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, God said, when you lay down your need to be important, you know, I will give you favor. Well, my speaking got me a chance to be right there with Tony Robbins. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I, I would have never been beside Tony Robbins and I'm not, I, I have no partiality to him or anybody else, but I wouldn't have been there 
I, I yeah. think that if I wouldn't have laid that down, if serving the audience, that's, that's it right there. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, um, we're, we're all involved in varying degrees and in different ways in um, the arts and communication. Um, often you find in urban centers that a scene will grow and a scene uh, often where a subculture uh, emerges and, uh, you know, so for um, uh, the, the hip hop scene in Calgary, for example, Connie, um, Danny, uh, you know, you're, you're part of the, uh, the blues scene and, uh, you know, there's all these different subcultures and, uh, um, we, uh, we lost Glenn's signal. So I'm hoping that he'll be able to rejoin us, uh, because, uh, I wanted him to share some thoughts too, but just to want to talk a little bit about the whole notion of subculture. You know, that um, a group of musicians or artists or people, an affinity group forms often in an urban center, because if you're the only kid in a little town that's into something, you know, you might have one or two other people that know something about that. But then you come to the city and you find there's dozens and dozens of people that share the, that uh, sensibility and, and that appreciation for whatever it is in that subculture. So um, just thinking uh, too about this idea, um, what are some of your experiences uh, in uh, getting to be um, energizers in a subculture? Being able to be a voice among many voices but uh, you know how sometimes the Lord will open doors for us to to get involved in a particular community. For for me, a few years ago, um, here in Windsor, Ontario, uh, we uh, opened the doors in our church and developed a, a venue we called Hardcore Church, and uh, so it was all like screamo and hardcore musicians in the city. There was this. Uh, subculture in the city at that time and uh, but every hall they would rent um, somebody would always call the police because there's all these scary looking kids hanging outside the doors of the community center and and people got worried and uh, or they'd go play in some dive bar and uh, the kind of bar where you're walking around and your feet are sticking to the floor and uh, the washroom hasn't been serviced in 15 years. And, and, and the, the guy who's running sound at the bar, uh, you know, he's not doing you any favors. He just turns the system on and he doesn't really care what it sounds like or what you need in your monitors. That was the subculture. And uh, so a few of us decided, you know what? Let's open the doors and create um, a space where uh, these bands can come and play, where the the kids can come, and and uh, and let's just say, okay, here's some community values. If your band's going to play here, you can't use the stage to promote substance abuse. You can't use the stage to promote violence. You can't, you know, uh, be sexist. And you know, 
we, we want the venue to be a place where you can do your art and have a really good time. Um, but we don't want you on stage trashing people. And uh, so, I mean, it, it worked well. We did it uh, two, three years. And, and uh, from that involvement in that subculture, uh, I still uh, have young adults that are, you know, now, now business people and entrepreneurs and working around the city and, and uh, you know, they, they remember those days and that God touched their heart, even though they're not following Jesus, God touched their heart through that. So talk to me about subcultures and uh, some of your experiences, things that, that you found to, to happen when, when you identify yourself with, with a group. And uh, you don't have to name names. We can protect the innocent and the not so innocent. Go ahead, Connie. Well, um, I, I remember joining our hip hop community actually in Vancouver first. And then when we moved to Van uh, Calgary, joining it here and, and just seeing the way that they lived life. Um, everything was just about expression and art and you know, no hierarchy you know, peace, love, unity, and having fun. That, that yeah. was kind of the slogan. And I remember um, like inviting them to church and realizing that it didn't connect because everything that hip hop does is in a circle. And so we had started something called Cypher Church. Uh, I'm not a part of it anymore. I tend to, God usually gets me to start things and then have, we, we create the system and I, off I go. Um, but uh, the Cypher Church was a really cool thing because we did the entire church service in a circle. We just, we basically just copied them, which I was a part of. It wasn't even copying them. It was just, why are we, why are we singing rows? Let's do this in a circle. Why do we have to have planned songs? Let's just let the DJ go and let's just have freestyle rap as our worship. That had some interesting things to it. You know, there's a couple songs you're like, and I'm just going to pass the mic, you know, like, and, and, and riff <laughs> off of something like to redeem that. But, um, you know, and dancers dancing, and it was just the coolest thing. I, I think that if we can create ecclesias that reflect these subcultures, like you were doing there, Kevin, I just think it's so beautiful. Ryan. Yeah, personally, you know, I've lived a very mainstream life. Um, but I do have a ministry to people in the film and entertainment industry here in Calgary and, you know, being in relationship with a lot of artists, I, I kind of, I get to, I get to speak into their lives as they go into a lot of weird cultures that I don't really understand. And I love that because they're built for that. And, you know, me, not so much. And I'm thinking of, um, one visual artist that we have, she's, she's a brilliant muralist she does she gets hired by city of calgary and everything she's just an amazing artist and um she was asked by a friend of hers uh who's a reporter for a local magazine uh when the whole big um chaz chop thing happened down in you know portland and seattle the autonomous zone and where they took over the uh um you know those few blocks uh in the city center um 
she was asked to go down there as a uh, uh, like reporter or something like that. And, and she went down into the middle of this culture and community that they had built. And, you know, that's the fringe of all fringes, right? And God opened up, she went in prayerfully, she went in spirit led, and God opened up doors for her to speak to so many people, hear their stories, why were the, they were there, why they're so angry and what's going on, you know, in their hearts and in their souls to the point where it even led to the leader of this autonomous zone who was called a warlord by the mainstream media. She actually spent a whole day with him, you know, speaking into his life, hearing his story, drawing him. That's, that's part of why she was down there was to do, uh, you know, a, bu a bunch of uh, drawings and, you know, art to the people uh, down there. And um, yeah, just to hear his story uh, and what he went through was just incredible. And, and she, she got a prophetic word that she spoke over him and he was just blown away and had, you know, bad church experience in the past. And this, he, you know, ended up by saying, you know, maybe, maybe I am missing something. Maybe there is something in Jesus that I didn't really understand. Yeah. And I think people are drawn to these kinds of things um, you know, for a sense of identity, sense of belonging, and even for a battle sometimes, which is good. You know, I recently had a revelation that, you know, we're all hardwired to fight against evil, right? To bring good into the world. But if we don't recognize God's word and the fact that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, then we end up grouping together and fighting against each other in a fleshly way, which never gets anyone the results they hope for. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of the world and the subcultures that you talk about are people searching for an identity and other people who can relate to them be in their mess and hopefully lift each other up to a better place. That's, that's good. That's very good. Um, Connie uh, has another uh, thing she has to move on to. Um, so uh, Connie, thanks for uh, being on this part of the conversation. And uh, just so, uh, so refreshing to always hear your perspectives and uh, you know, um, will uh the the podcast is coming to an end but people can still go and listen to it if they want because it'll still be up i'm sure um anyways uh, thanks for uh being a part of it with us connie and uh we'll carry on and uh look forward to connecting with you again another time connie jacob from uh from calgary and nice uh, you, connie. yeah um, so, um, yeah, Danny, um, you know, you've, um, talk about some of the subculture, uh, stuff that, that you've experienced over the years, because, uh, you know, I think part of a, an artist, um, formation sometimes is, um, we are looking for identity. We are looking for, um, where do we fit? and uh, who shares some of our values. And that, of course, uh, really um, drew you into the blues community. So that, that would definitely be a, a subculture and, and maybe there's others too, but uh, what, what, about, uh, what about this whole idea of uh, being an energizer in a subculture? Well, as a reformed substance abuser, I came from a heavy subculture situation. When I found myself and my faith, 
I, I tried to do the church thing and tried to be, I wanted to have like a church band, a Christian band. You wanted to join so the church in- culture, yeah. Yeah, and that really didn't work out. And then um, it seemed that God wanted me back in the music world, in secular settings. I was very frightened because I was new out of rehab, still finding myself with my newfound sobriety. It it, it was very frightening. And I told God that I was frightened and I told him I'd have to pull a Gideon on him, that if he wants me to do this within a week, I need one like-minded person. I could not go into a dressing room with booze and see lines of coke. So if this is something you want me to do, that that's my, you gotta send me someone. Well, in three days that someone showed up, got back in the music industry. And then he showed me a biblical verse, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I took that to mean in all the subcultures, in the nightclubs, at the festivals, rehabs, prisons. And um, so he's brought me slowly along the way. But one particular incident that really drove home the point that you just show up and you be who you really are in Christ. He'll take care of all the rest. Debbie goes into the prisons with me now, but in this one prison, it was called the Castle. It was in Western Kentucky and was on the Green River. And I was performing for all the death row inmates. There was 32. And I remember going in there expecting guards to be around. There was not even the chaplain of the prison. It was the biker chaplain who got me into the prison and his son. They were very large men. And on a humorous note, getting to the church, we were driving in a little Peugeot. And I was in the back and these two 400 pounders had the seats right back to, I was all crunched up going, why has he got his big son in this little car? There's no room for even the two of us. But after my first song, the son was sitting sideways on one side, his dad on the other. And I realized right then and there, there's no guards, there's no help. Debbie read two of the victims that were two of the inmates, what they had done. And after that, I said, don't read me anymore. And I, I, I said, Lord, anything could happen. They've got nothing to lose. And God just said, Danny, just do your thing. Give it all you got. Don't worry about nothing. This is like any other gig you do. Give yep. it all you got. So yep. my mind got off 
of the fact who they really were. At the end of it, the biker chaplain came out to me and said, Danny, what did you think? I said, heavy, that was his name. Heavy. Good nickname for a 400 pounder. I said, heavy, <laughs> there was no guards in here. And I said, and I felt, and I, and I, everybody hugged me except one man. And I'm glad he didn't hug me. Yeah. And I said, I, I don't think I've ever been hugged by a band of killers before. He said, <laughs> every one of them, Danny, multiple. And I'm, one black guy he had tears in his eyes. And he said, son, you brought me right back to Beale Street in its heyday. Thank you so much for coming. And right then and there, I knew I would never be in a more difficult situation that God is large and in charge and he'll take care of everything as long as you do it for him and just show up and give it your best. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Ryan, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, you You work uh, have worked in the past with uh, Jamie Rao. Uh, Jamie, I was hoping, could have been on the call, but uh, he's pretty busy in production these days and uh, wasn't able to, to fit it into the schedule. But talk a little bit about the, uh, the entertainment industry and that whole light and film and, and uh, you know, the work that you do and uh, just how you guys are um, immersed in the subculture of producers, camera people, tech people, grips, actors, actresses, uh, makeup artists, the whole industry and, uh, and how you guys um, uh, work in that context. Yeah, I mean, the whole concept of how this ministry started was, you know, wouldn't it be great to get a chaplain on a movie set kind of thing like they have, you know, in prisons and, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, football uh, clubs and, you know, stuff like that. And um, Hollywood isn't really open to that uh, surprise. Really? And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so um, the the vision originally changed uh, many years ago. You know, when Jamie started his ministry, um, said, "Okay, well, if I can't get on to be a chaplain, well, what if I start, um, you know, working with people and ministering to people who get on and work on film sets, you know, in in practical and professional ways?" And and that's kind of how the focus shifted, which you know I think is is brilliant um you know the industry and i think when you're talking about any entertainment industry it's filled with insecure people like me who you know have something to say to the world and let's do it through art let's do it through music let's do it through film and you know that comes with a whole bunch of you know baggage on its own you know um dealing with the the things of the world in the ways of the world um, yeah, people's lives can get, you know, messed up pretty quick with drugs, alcohol, sex, and, you know, I mean, all of that is obviously rampant. I mean, I, one of the actors who are in our community, he talked about a set he was working on in Calgary, they do a scene, and um, a few of the main actors, he was, he, he had kind of a background, you know, small, small role in it. He said the main actors in the scene would go, you know, offset, do a line of coke, 
or, you know, pop a few shots that were waiting for them on the side just to keep getting through like the next scene and the next scene and the next scene. And so people are really medicating their lives, just trying to get through it, trying to find a way through it. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the reality of it. And, and very, very strenuous work, like super long days, you know, people don't necessarily know how grueling the life of a, a, a cele- celebrity or an up-and-comer can be, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if you talk about uh, film shooting days and things like that, they try, and, they try and shoot like major motion pictures in, you know, 90 days. Um, you're trying to get through, you know, 90 minutes, 120 minutes of script in, in, in 90 days and three months. It's, it's yeah. crazy, and especially in Calgary. Well, Canada, you know, where, where you have just so much summer or so much spring, yeah. all of a sudden the sun comes out and everybody's doing 16, 18 hour days and yeah. they're exhausted, they're tired, and they're just trying to deal with it however they can. It kind of speaks to the sickness of our culture, doesn't it? You know, that uh, we uh, create a, a system where in order for you to be somebody, um, you have to make daily sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the presence of, uh, you know, spirit-led energizers, people that are uh, tuned to, to God and, and being in those environments um it's a powerful thing um talk a little bit about i mean i I don't want you or if jamie were on i wouldn't want you to name drop because that's not what we're here to do but you know um talk a little bit about um underground church and and what what church looks like in that subculture yeah what uh what we do is uh right now we have well you know pre-covid we we had like monthly meetings where we'd gather at a location outside of the church because you know that's the whole vision is that we're the church right so we're gonna take it you know outside of the the building because there's there's a real i don't know stereotype or prejudice against the church building and I, i can't tell you how many people i've talked to who said if i walk in there I'm going to get struck by lightning. And I'm like, well, you know, God could strike you here. So, you know, if you're worried about that, let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Um, so, yeah, we we gather and the concept of the ministry is we we want to bless the people who are usually asked so much of, right? Um, you know, hey, can you do this for me? Can you, you know, uh, shoot my wedding for free? Or can you, you know, whatever it is, right? They're always being asked or, you know, um, hounded for, for stuff because they're in creative and high profile um, arts uh, world. And so we provide all the food, we provide all the drinks, we, we invite, you know, the people who have been uh, invited are now empowered to invite others. So we try and build upon people's existing relationships. So, you know, I don't have a relationship with that actor on that set, but uh, I'm ministering to somebody who's taking care of craft services or ministering to somebody who's doing, you know, uh, set design or whatever, they're building relationship with that actor. And so now they invite that actor in or that person in that they've been building relationship with. So now when somebody comes into our 
church community, there's already a, a bond, there's already a familiarity with somebody. It's not just coming in cold call, like, what's this about? And I'm freaked out and I don't know, do I sit down? Do I kneel? Do I, you know what, right? So they come in with relationship already. Um, I'm, you know, me personally, the gospels, the power into salvation. So, um, you know, I'll always give maybe 10, 15 minute word out of scripture, something that God's spoken to my own heart for my people or um, something that he's, uh, you know, I know God wants to say, and then always telling them about Jesus, what salvation is, you know, how to be born again and, and stuff like that. Like the gospel is always central in everything I do whether it's my own film projects or whether it's talking to somebody, it's the gospel, gospel, gospel first. So mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful. Um, uh, either of you guys have any uh, projects in development right now. I know Danny, you just uh, finished uh, an album that, that you, you put out and uh, uh, any other uh, projects uh, you're, you're working on or you Ryan, what's uh, what, what are your work days looking like right now? Uh, yeah, I'll just, uh, yeah, actually, Danny, yeah, you go. Well, go ahead, brother. No, these guys don't want to talk about themselves. They're so modest. <laughs> I, <I'm laughs> well, let I'm me, let me. I'm working really hard right now. Oh, I'm, I'm working really hard right now with this new recording as far as uh, the booking agent, because things are starting to slowly open up. So yeah. right now I'm booking for May and June and I want to come out. Actually, I'm going to be out your way, Ryan, uh, probably early June, because I have a brother who lives um, in Southeast Calgary. And uh, from there, I'll go to BC and then come down to Nevada and California. And then I'm also booking for August and September. And that's on the East Coast and coming back into Canada. So, and while, now while I'm doing all this, I've got the writing bug. So I'm trying to write for the next recording. I've got 12 new songs I've written some older ones, but unlike any other preparation for a CD, I asked God to help me dig deeper than I've ever done before. So now with my recording studio here in this little phone, <laughs> yeah. I'm recording every single song in six or seven different keys of me singing it till I find out little wee things I do in different keys that sound good and try to get them to work in the best key that's suited overall. It's painstaking, but when it's all said and done, I've done it now to two songs and, I'm, and I've improved on them, but it's like a mountain of work for an inch of progress, but that's the way I'm gonna do it. Because I want the next record to be the best. It has well, to be the best. Well, uh, if if uh, if you can, uh, I'd love you to send me some uh, outtakes for the the Tiny Tim demos. You know the ones where you're you're doing it too high. 
and you have to go into falsetto. <laughs> that would be very amusing. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? Uh, what, what? What's uh, what's on your uh, work plate these days? Yeah, for me, I mean, there's um, there's two different sides. There's you know your your work for other people, your clients and stuff. And then there's your passion projects right now. Um, just, yeah, because of this past year and stuff, not too much on the passion project side. And I found that, you know, a lot of churches and ministries are like really hungry to get more stuff online because of all the restrictions and lockdowns. So, you know, especially over the past six months, I've been super busy helping churches and ministries, you know, um, getting video messages out, getting services out, getting children's ministries out, getting all of that kind of stuff out, just um, uh, which, which has been good. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, fading into the background a bit. And I've really enjoyed being, you know, kind of the, the invisible kind of person behind other people's messages and that. And I, it's, it's, it's a nice season. I, I like that. It's, it's good for my heart. I, I forget who I heard say it, but they talked about instead of being the uh, the sage on the stage, they became the guide at the side. And I thought, yeah, you know what? That's that's a good way uh, for all of us to to follow Jesus. Sometimes you gotta be on stage, and sometimes you gotta serve those and help help to build the platform for somebody else. Um, out of all the projects you've done over the years, um, Ryan, your your video work, uh, Danny, your uh, your music and your writing, um, is there a sort of a personal favorite that you the one that you feel most most proud of? You know, I'd love to love to just think think about you know if you, you line them it all up. What, what's the one that sort of is in your heart the most? Yeah, for me, it's definitely the end of churchianity one. That was just, you know, I call it a my miraculous film because it shouldn't exist. There's no reason why that should exist except God. And it's just such a testimony to him, his power, his goodness, his ability to use the foolish things of the world to do something um, powerful and amazing. And, um, you know, it's, it's a special film, you know, we were supporting our ministry by, you know, DVD sales, because I mean, it came out in, in 2013. So DVDs were still a thing back then, you know, around <laughs> yep. that. so DVD sales and online sales and things like that. And then, you know, there was just a day when uh, I felt like God was saying, um, just release it freely, just put it on YouTube and release it. And I was, you know, that fear, it's like, but, but wait, I'm going to lose out on it. And he's like, I'm going to look after you. Don't worry about that. And so we released it on YouTube and, you know, it's, it's had tens of thousands of views, but uh, I can remember um, one of my favorite stories from it. This, this guy emails me and he's like, Hey, do you mind if I give you a call? I just want to share a testimony. And so I wrote back and I don't usually give my number out or whatever, but I just had a feeling like this was safe and um, so I sent him my number and I said, yeah, absolutely. And he called me and, and he said, you know, I was surfing around on YouTube and a young guy, like 19, 20 years old, um, I was surfing around on YouTube and um, on the recommendation page, uh, I saw the end of churchianity and I read the title 
and it made me mad. I grew up in the church and I saw that and I was mad and I actually slammed my laptop shut and I pushed it away and I got up to leave the house. I'm getting my jacket on and I felt like I heard a voice saying, go back and watch that video. And so throws his jacket down, opens his laptop and goes back and watches watches the film. He said, you know, um, the first testimony on there kind of got my attention. And then when you talked about your own story a bit, uh, I, you know, I was in tears because I was connecting with it. And by the end, I realized I'm not even saved. I'm not even a true believer. Like I've never really given my life to Jesus. And he said, I got wow. down on my face and repented, asked God to forgive me for, you know, my pride and all my sins and, and said, Hey, if, if those people on that film, can heal somebody and see supernatural things, then I want to do that too. And he said, I got my coat back on and I went down to a coffee shop and I just started praying for people. And I prayed for people until I saw somebody healed. And now he's got just this little ministry that he does. Uh, I think now with his girlfriend, they just go to the streets and they pray for healing for people and share the gospel. I mean, that's one story and you don't know how many there are. That's one that just touches me. Yeah. yeah, you know, a, a, a God story is way better than a celebrity any day. You know, when when God does Absolutely. something and and, he, and when He uses us in 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 those God moments where you don't plan it, you just happen to be poised in the right place at the right time for for God to to do something and 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 you know. Um, I've often thought with songwriting, it's it's like uh, songwriting is part of my prayer life. It's it's my formal prayers, and um, and so when every time I get to sing a song I wrote, um, it's it's a devotional experience. You know, it's reminding me of um, who I'm living for. Yeah, what about you, Danny? What about your uh, pet project? The one that, you know, uh, you've, you've got 50, 15 kids, but secretly there's one kid that's your favorite. Well, first of all, let me say thank you, God, that I got many memorable ones. And... Um, I have to say, like Ryan just said, this last one was totally a God thing. And I have no business having this recording in my hand. <laughs> we, our last recording was 2015. We're still in debt. I didn't know how I was going to afford to do a new record, but I felt a burden because of what people have been going through. And I said, God, I feel you're telling me, you're giving me songs that people need to hear. Songs like, where will you stand? And the title itself brings up a lot of connotation. The battle um, for the man's soul. There's without love. And I said, God, you know we're broke. I'm even embarrassed to even think about doing a new record because I owe people money. 
I said, so you got to be in it, but I'm going to do what I feel you're telling me to do, which is go forward. Well, I ended up speaking to a gentleman who was a former engineer at Malaco Records, started up his own studio, and he knows about my life because of a mutual friend who's a born-again Christian. And this guy, Tom Easley, who has a new studio, said, Danny, I love what you're doing. I love your heart. Let's just start working on the record. We won't worry about money for my studio right now. We'll worry about it later. Your faith tells you God will take care of things, and I believe that. He yep. said, all I really need from you is just to pay the rhythm section guys. And um, if you can come up with that money, let's get the record started. So I came up with $2,600. Got that started. Then all of a sudden, uh, Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters told me he wanted to bless me with putting guitar. And he did that on eight of the 20 songs. Yeah. Texas, Johnny Fannin, storied background, just like the Kentucky Headhunters, said, Danny, I want to bless you. Got him. Well, Chalmers Davis, who played keyboards in Muscle Shoals and for Malico Records, worked dirt cheap, as did the other guy, Sam Brady. I got this record done for pennies on the dolls. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's the best yet. It, it was the strongest that Debbie and I have worked together. We worked so hard on this record. And along the way, a gentleman out of the blue appears. But we know that he didn't just appear out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, what does it take to do this record, Danny? And I told him, he said, how much do you need? I told him, he said, you got it. So I got a business loan on 2.5% interest. And he says, just take care of the interest and as pay it off when you can. Wow. And uh, I felt very strongly about this. I gotta tell you something. Um, I think it was um, Connie said earlier about the stuff, or maybe it was you, Ryan, the stuff that was going on in Portland my song, The Battle, was being played in Portland uh, recently. Well, I've been playing for the last couple of months. And then in Washington, D.C., Where We Stand. And then mm. both songs flipped over, Where We Stand in Portland and The Battle in D.C. And I thought, God, how wow. cool is that? And um I don't know if I sent you the recording, but I'll, I can send you something digitally. Oh, I'd love to hear. Hear the lyrics of these two songs, and yeah. So God's using it. I, I know that, and I don't know how much extensive touring I'll do. I don't know how long of a shelf life the album will have. 
but I do know this. I've got to keep planning as if great things are going to happen and just let God take care of it. I mean, he's not my cosmic bellboy. I've got my sleeves rolled up too, but I've got to be ready. So I'm excited with this new recording. Beautiful. Just as a, a humorous aside, you're training me today because this is the first time I've done a Zoom thing. Tomorrow I'm doing a Zoom thing and now I know what to do with this guy for a Blues Deluxe. It's the longest running blues syndicated show in North America. Wow. So I'm doing something tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And this yeah. guy's got a lot of um, uh, fans. So yeah. it's a blessing. Well, you're... So you're thank you. You're welcome. Glad, glad to, to show you the ways of Zoom. And, uh, you know, um, Danny, uh, the ranch that you live on in Texas, we were talking about that earlier. Uh, cell signal and internet is pretty sketchy. And it's a miracle that uh, you didn't glitch out and disappear midway through the call. So uh, there must be some tech angels that are uh, doing some uh, doing some IT work behind the scenes. Well, um, you told me to hot wire it through the modem, and I think yeah. that made all the difference in the world. It, yeah, it but does. You are right too, because while we were talking on my screen, it came up internet um, interference, and yeah. I thought I was going to lose, and I didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, my friends in in this, as my friends in in the south would say, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, one last question for you guys. Um, you know, as as we think about um, urban centers in Canada, as we think about the uh, the gaps uh, of people who are not not being reached. And um, maybe there's somebody who's listening to the podcast that is uh, writing songs or producing uh, YouTube videos or, uh, you know, writing or doing, doing something in the arts. And um, they, uh, they want to follow Jesus. They maybe are a little worried about, well, am I supposed to do that in the church or am I supposed to do that in the subculture? Um, just give me your parting thoughts on um, what we started out asking, you know, about being spirit led uh, and uh, bringing spirit to culture. Um, Ryan, uh, parting thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the first five words of the Bible are in the beginning, God created, right? The first thing we learn about God. Uh, is that he is a creator and you know we get to join him in creating stuff and that's what's so great about the arts and music and film like all of the arts it's about creating woodworking it's about creating something we get to yeah. join god in that and a lot of people don't know this but i mean the first person that was filled with the holy spirit was an artist in the bible right in uh in i believe it was exodus 
Um, he, he was filled with uh, the spirit to give him the ability to work in all forms of crafts and that's um, right. yeah. working in linens and everything to help design the temple, right? So the first person filled with the Holy Spirit was an artist to glorify God and help design the temple and make it look beautiful. So, I mean, if people are feeling a call to honor God with their creativity or, you know, like I say, woodworking, doesn't have to be paint or film or whatever, whatever it is, if you're feeling the, the, the draw to do that, be prayerful. I mean, I, when anybody asks me about, you know, should I start a ministry of this? The first thing I always talk about is character. And I don't think character is talked enough uh, in, you know, church circles. I think we talk more about gifting and that's honored more. Um, you can be the most gifted artist, the most gifted preacher, the most gifted whatever um if you don't have the character to support that you're gonna you're gonna fall you're gonna you know you need the character the godly character and that comes from a relationship with him out of his word the instruction obedience um you know following jesus trying to be like him thinking of others as better than yourselves you know a lot of the scriptures that have been mentioned here even today um, that's, that's all character stuff. And then let God infuse it with his spirit and, you know, dedicate it to him and keep giving him the glory. Everything I do, I always try and point up if somebody compliments or, you know, tells me a story of impact or whatever. I'm like, Oh, I, I'm always in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That was you. That was you. That was you because it's his prerogative where he's going to put his spirit and he's not going to bless something that's going to destroy you. He's not going to, you know, lead you into something that's going to destroy you. He's going to develop your character so that when you get to that point, you're ready to handle it and manage it well. Danny, uh, your uh, parting thought on uh, somebody who uh, is, is being stirred to create and uh, figuring out uh, how, to, how to do that for Jesus. Okay, first, let me just say, Ryan, that was very well stated and articulated. And very I well. My hat yep. Amen. Um, for me, it, it's just being willing. And let me take it from the first perspective. Well, first of all, for me, when I write a song, I always ask God to guide me. I want to touch people. I believe all people, whether they're people of faith or just people without faith, everybody wants to touch somebody with their art and, and, and with their gifts. So everybody's searching. And even I would say to people who aren't necessarily people of faith, they might believe there's a God, they might believe you know, in a few things, but they do want to touch people. I just would say to them, look at, just come right out and say, God or whoever, help me touch people with my art. Mm -hmm. Because when we have that kind of a willing spirit, you're not far from God. And I believe yeah. God will blow your socks off and do something on your behalf. Um, I don't always write flag-waving gospel songs. I'll write songs about life and there's a moral to it. But whatever I write, I want it to edify people and open up their minds to thinking, possibility thinking. 
Well, that was a very interesting conversation with my friends. Uh, be sure to go to our show notes at sidewalkskylinepodcast.com and click on the links and see uh, all of the th uh, things that, that uh, my friends are involved in. Well, on our next episode, we're going to the next quest letter, and that is the letter S, which stands for Street Ministry Workers. And uh, I call them the sidewalk pastors. People who don't work in a church building, they uh, do their ministry by interacting with people out in the wild, out on the sidewalks. So we're gonna talk to uh, three people in the next episode. Uh, Bob Gal, who uh, there's an episode in season one uh, that we'll refer to in the show notes. Uh, Bob Gal uh, from Edmonton, uh, Anna Morganti from Winnipeg, and EJ Tupe from Toronto. All three of them uh, have very unique and specialized uh, venues of ministry on the streets of their city and they, we've got a lot of things we can learn from uh, their sense of calling and their sense of willingness to literally go out into the highways and byways. So be sure to tune in uh, for our next episode. Until that time, I'm Kevin Rogers. Keep one ear to God and one ear to the ground in your city. And this is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Thank you.